So you guys pray in the spirit, and I'll, I'll pray this prayer in the English. Thank you, Father. This is a prayer for how to keep your life. Father God, I thank you that you are the Father of life and the giver of only good and perfect gifts. I thank you for eternal life. Because the Lord is my refuge, you will satisfy me with long life. I am made in the likeness of your Son, and am a part of his body. I know that when he walked the earth, no man was able to take his life. He laid his life down at the time appointed by you. You are the God of foreknowledge, and all things are in your hands. I claim the blessing of my ancestors. As Moses lived 120 years and was in good health, so will I. I confess that my hour has not yet come to die. I believe like Esther that I have been called to the kingdom for such a time as this. I will not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. Father, I place myself in subjection to you, and by this I live. As I submit to you and resist the devil, he must flee. Your angels will take charge of me and keep me from even hitting my foot against the stone. When I confess this aloud to the devil, angels will come and minister to me as they did to Jesus. I believe my angels always behold your face in heaven and are ready to move at your command. I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor any created thing will be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I have the power to tread on serpents and scorpions, and if I eat any deadly thing, it will not harm me. I know that you will send ten legions of angels to help me if I need it. I thank you that I am not my own, but I have been bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus. I thank you that your word sanctifies me, your word leads me, your word guides me into all truth, and lights my path so no evil will befall me. Though many fall all around me, no death will come nigh me. Since you live in me, you have set me free from all the power of the enemy. I am free indeed. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Miss Juana. Appreciate it. Amen. I figure, feel like we need to get that online so that people who are, are uh, facing illness or uh, been given a death sentence or whatever uh, by physicians can just play that and be able to recite it and agree with it so that they can keep their lives. Amen. They keep it as long as they want to. And we will be satisfied with long life. And you don't go out of here till you're satisfied. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. So we'll get started. Father, we thank you for this day. It's the one you've made for us to rejoice and be glad in. Only gladness and rejoicing are allowed today by you. And we thank you for that. Thank you, Lord, that this is not a, a down day or a, a bad day for anybody. But it's a day to rejoice in you. And we thank you. We bless you. We praise you. Open our ears to hear and 
and open up my heart and wisdom to, to know what you want to preach today and what you want to say to your people. Thank you, Lord, that there is victory in everything that we do. In your name, Jesus, we thank you for that. Amen and praise God. Amen. So the Lord told me to tell you that you belong to the greatest. Amen. He is the greatest. Amen. I'm the greatest. Yeah. Jesus is the greatest. So you belong to the greatest. Proverbs 21, if you'll turn there and start in verse 30, it says here, There is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. No wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. And boy, people are really trying, aren't they? It says the horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory rests with the Lord. I mean, you can get all the strong forces you want to, but victory rests with the Lord. Amen? With his counsel, with his plan. With his vision, with his insight, that's where the victory is. And anything that comes against it will not succeed, just won't succeed. In John uh, 4.4, 1 John 4.4 says, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So the greater actually lives in you. You have access to the greater wisdom, the greater plan, the greater knowledge, Greater access, greater power, because he dwells in you. Nahum 1 9 says, What do you imagine against the Lord? Hmm, what can you, what can you devise that would, would make uh, God bow to you? Huh? What do you devise against the Lord? It says, He will make an utter end. Affliction will not rise up a second time. Amen. Once he's killed, is dead on arrival forever. Amen. It's DOA forever. Isaiah 54, verse 16. I'm going to turn to that one. I remember years ago, I was a young Christian, and, and I heard a woman preach. She said, Isaiah is the book of restoration. I said, well, let me stay in there. <laughs> Let me crawl up in there and live. <laughs> I've always remembered that. <clears throat> it says here, starting in verse 14, In righteousness you will be established. You'll be established in righteousness. It means you don't have to move out of anybody's way. You don't have to move over. You don't have to quit. As long as you're standing in righteousness. And you know what the Lord was telling me? He said, tell people who, uh, you know, it, when something happens and it doesn't happen like they they like, uh, tell them to quit asking themselves what they did wrong. He says, not your righteousness is his. You got me? You're trying to take over the righteousness job when you ask that. Huh? Not your righteousness going to get you. It's his. It's imputed to you. So put that on and put off the crazy stuff. Amen. Quit asking yourself them crazy questions. Amen. You know you you know when you've done wrong when you do repent and put on his righteousness again. And keep a stepping. 
read like you stole it. Amen. <laughs> but it's freely given. That's a blessing. So in righteousness you will be established. Tyranny will be far from you. See, righteous people, there's no law against righteousness. God can't even come against you when you're in his son's righteousness. Did you know that? He has no legal way to get get access to us when we stand in the righteousness of his son Jesus. And he says, you will have nothing to fear. Terror will be far removed. It will not come near you. If anyone does attack you, it ain't because I'm telling them to do it. Hello, it's not by my doing. Whoever attacks you will have to surrender to you. He said, see, it is I who created the blacksmith who fans the coals in the flame and forges the weapon fit for its work. And it is I who have created the destroyer to wreak havoc. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And you will refute every tongue that accuses you. Amen. This is your inheritance as servants of the Lord because your righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. Amen. So no wisdom, no plan, no plot can succeed against the Lord. Amen. He is the greater one. He created the waster to destroy. If people gather against us, it won't be his doing. So don't ever think that this is happening to you to teach you something. Amen. I ought to teach you to punch out the devil and leave him on the ground. Put your foot on his neck, he won't get up again. Amen. So God has no grounds to destroy the righteous. Remember that. You know, you see all these people talking about judgment. We deserve judgment. Yeah, 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 I know that boy ain't coming here. (laughs) I put out my righteousness side. Amen. Put the blood over the doorpost. You you know how we do. When we want to preserve our lives, we know how to get busy. So how does the devil try to destroy us? How what plots do does he have against the Lord? Well, he knows he can't uh destroy God. He tried and failed already. So that's a done deal. He already got kicked out of heaven. So then he goes after righteousness in another form and that's God's people. And so what God is saying here, there's no plot or plan that can can, can succeed against his people. Amen. So when, when the enemy plots against us, he usually plots in, in three different areas. Uh, first, he plots against our lives, against our future, and against our righteousness. And he can, can talk you out of believing that you're sinless. You're unmovable and blameless. He can get you into some guilt or condemnation, make you feel bad about something you've done. Or, uh, you know, something, revive some old dead something that you've been forgiven of a long time ago. Uh, Then he can steal your right standing before God and cause your faith to wane and waver. So that your faith doesn't work the way God intends for it to work. And it's kind of doubtful you know he likes to create doubt in us and he does it in plotting against our righteousness and so when he plots against our lives though it begins at birth man because abortion is legal worldwide now that's the first plot 
that the enemy that Satan plots against the lives of the righteous. Now when we're born we have a call to righteousness. We have a a mandate. You know if you live out your life God the God of foreknowledge has already ordained the time and the place that you will come into his kingdom. And so Satan begins by killing across the board. You see what I'm saying? He just sweeps out as many as he can. As a god of this world, he sends forces to destroy us at birth or or shortly before being born or shortly thereafter. He always uses government to do this. If you look in the Bible, historically, Satan uh, gets a decree through a government to do this. You look at China where they have uh, uh, um, no girls born or girls only or one boy or whatever that is and they'll force abortion on you uh, in so many countries where uh, they have killed the newborn. Uh, we see it in Exodus uh, verse 1 in, in chapter 1 I'm sorry in verse 22 if you want to turn there I'm going to read this. Um, you know the story of Moses when God was first uh, forming his people into a nation. There was a decree that went out <clears throat> by the Pharaoh who was in Egypt at the time. Exodus 1 verse, did I say 22? Yes. Let me see. Oh. Wait a minute. Hold it. That's not the one. Oh, that's two. Like I said, one. If I could keep up with my own stuff here, I'd be, I'd be marvelous. It's a little Bible, I'm telling you. That's right. Blame it on the Bible. All right. Start in verse fifteen. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Pua. <laughs> When you are helping the Hebrew women doing childbirth on a delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. If it's a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God. Hello, no plot, no plan, no nothing can win against God. They feared God and didn't do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. Those babies are born before we even get there. See, under certain laws in this nation, that wouldn't stop it. You got me? They kill that live birth, the partial birth or whatever. So God was kind to the midwives and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all the people, every Hebrew born that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. And so here is the first threat of the enemy against our lives. You saw how Moses' mother, uh, instead of putting him in without any help, she put him in a boat and put him in the Nile. See what I'm saying? She obeyed kind of. And Moses was, was uh, plucked out of, of the Nile River by uh, 
uh, Pharaoh's daughter and because Miriam his sister had watched for a while uh, the Pharaoh's daughter looked up and saw this little Hebrew girl and said well find a mother to nurse his baby she come right back to his mother got me she got her baby back and so no plot against God will succeed amen he doesn't care what king what president whoever it is gave what order all he needs is intercessors I see Pharaoh's uh, no, uh, Moses' mother is an intercessor the midwives are intercessors they stand in the gap so that God's will can be done over the will of the people and that's what God's raising us up in greater measure right now intercessors this is your hour don't quit praying amen pray all the more second example we have of this in the Bible is in Matthew chapter 2 we see during when Jesus is born so these times of transition these times of uh, God stirring up a new move pouring out more power are always met with this threat against the lives of humanity it's a pattern you see when Moses came into when Moses was born God was about to give the nation of Israel its freedom from Egypt and so uh, instead of and see this is a retaliation spirit because remember when uh, when they left out of Egypt, uh, all of the firstborn died. Remember the plagues that Moses showed Pharaoh, etc., etc. Well, a lot of times these spirits will gang up to retaliate against an order that they know God has the ability to to levy out, and so they started the business of killing all the firstborn and so God was able to do that and killed even more of the Egyptians the night that his people left Egypt so God is preparing for that he's stirring up and the forces of darkness know when light's on the way trust me because they're too accurate in setting up ambushments against it now they don't know everything but they have no power to stop it you got me and so they have to do what they can do when they see when they see prayer when they see God's people mobilizing when they see more spiritual activity down here they start to mobilize ambushments against what God is planning to do and and they he knows the enemy knows that God has to use our faith he must use us to change things down here on earth he has to have he has to work by his own law and God is not a, a lawbreaker. Now, God can move sovereignly. He always reserves the sovereign right to move for the good. But for the most part, He needs our cooperation because we wouldn't know if God's coming or not if we hadn't had some access to that knowledge through prayer. Many times people get, they don't know if it's God or that. You ever have somebody look at something supernatural and think it's a witchcraft? Because we don't know the supernatural of God. Once you get acquainted with it, then you know that you judge by your inner witness what spirit is behind what's going on. But if you're just looking with your carnal eyes, you don't know if it's God or if it's the devil. And so you have to grow in that knowledge and understanding. And so God has to prepare people 
through prayer, through study of his word, through understanding, through through developing their spiritual sensitivity so that they will be able to judge rightly what's going on. Other than that, we'd be like the Pharisees down here fighting everything that God does if we didn't know by the Spirit when God is moving. And so God has to do things the way he has. He's wise, all wise. He knows what he's doing. And so he must start out with a seed from the earth so that he can affect things down here on the earth. And that's why he calls people to pray. When you start sending the word out from down here, he's able to grab onto it and manifest it. If we don't pray, no manifestation. It's just that simple. And so when when uh, God begins to do things, the forces of darkness have a way of sensing what's about to happen and they start mobilizing forces against it. For instance, if, if somebody, if you were in a church that uh, um, say we'll say they're weak on ministering the baptism in the Holy Spirit. You have a lot of carnal people around. I guarantee you, the minute you start praying for somebody to receive tongues, you'll see a lot of little feet come running right over to you. Start talking, start carrying on, start doing all kinds of things. That's what the he sees the power of God being able to be poured out on somebody, and he stops that outpour. Well, you can believe it if you want to. Just sit up there and look at me like you. But, but I'm moving on. You'll get it Tuesday. Because if you've never ministered the power of God to somebody, you don't know the answer. See, we don't have it here because we don't put up with the stupid devil. But in my learning years, I found out that I couldn't do everything in, in every group of people. Because there are people, some people come to church and think they're supposed to be the star of the show. Huh? And if they don't get enough attention, they'll do acrobats and all kind of crazy stuff. So, you know, you you need to have the presence of God strong to get his work done. It has to dominate in an atmosphere. You can't let the devil just take things over. But I guarantee you, start praying for people who receive the Holy Spirit. And if it's in a mixed congregation, if it's in a mixed group, half carnal, half spiritual, the carnal people want to come and dance around and talk real loud. and Hey, sister, what are you doing? You know, that kind of stuff. Anything to distract so that the power of God will not bless and manifest on people. You got me? Anywho, we're moving on. Try it sometime. Go and find some people and say, can I pray for you? I remember, um, uh, oh yeah, I know where we were in. I was with Juana. We were in Myers. And that lady talked to us forever. You know, I mean, I'm nice. No, don't get me wrong. I didn't, but, you know, prophetic people already see what the deal is. You know, I, I didn't need her 20 minutes of... But we let her do her thing. And so I said, well, you know, I think God wants to bless you. Baptism in the Holy Spirit. That aisle was empty. But just the three of us until I said... Baptism in the Fifteen people came down there pushing cards, bumping into each other. I said, okay, devil is on. So we just made a nice little tight circle. We just hugged up on each other and got deep over into it. Amen. But but you'll find that the devil, he mobilizes. But no plot, no plan, no wisdom can manifest and succeed against the Lord. 
It will not succeed. And don't you ever tell somebody, well, uh, you didn't get it this time. No, they're going to get it. You understand? God God got you that far. He will do the rest of it. You stay with it and don't let that distract you and pull you into unbelief. So it begins at birth. The devil uses governments to kill. Uh, and that kind of takes the heat off of him because it makes it look legal. It makes it look like it's okay. Amen. Well, it's against God's government. So we have a higher authority to answer to. In Matthew chapter 2 and verse uh, <clears throat> verse 18. This was Herod had talked to these wise men, Magi, and they were, uh, they were talking about a king. Um, it is said that they were, there were certain astrologers, wise men that were known as king makers. King makers. And they would study the stars. They would study history, study the times to know when certain kings were being born in the earth. And they would travel large distances sometimes to follow astrological signs. They would follow history and charts and maps and understand who was legitimate authority in the earth, et cetera, et cetera. And their, their accuracy was very great in predicting when certain kings would be born, what kind of uh, rulership they would have, and that kind of stuff. So it's thought that these were those kind of wise guys, man, king makers. And so they had a credibility that other magi and, and astrologers did not have. And so they had stopped by and asked Herod if he knew. He said, we follow this star and we understand a king is to be born here. Well, Herod looking around, he said, you know, I don't know king around here but me. Who is this king? And so he, Herod then wants to uh, capture Jesus. And uh, see, you're a threat to the devil when you're born. You know, humanity is always a threat to him because there's always the possibility that we'll convert and serve God. But that's why he's so apt to steal, kill, and destroy. He has no mercy on anything. He doesn't want to see life. He doesn't want to see normal life. He likes to pervert things, you know, and twist them to stop life and to keep people frustrated and, uh, and failing. And so uh, when Herod, <coughs> the, the uh, Magi, got a dream from God and, and God told him, don't go back to him. Go another way. So Herod said, show me where this baby, when you find this baby, come back and tell me because I want to go worship him too. And so uh, they made up their minds that they would go a different way after they'd been warned by God in a dream. You see how when God's doing things, the prophetic gifts uh, are plentiful. You see how many people were warned in dreams during this time by God. Uh, amen. Uh, Joseph was warned in a dream which way to go. Don't take the baby to Egypt. Take take him to uh, no. Take him to back to Nazareth. Take him to Egypt right now, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so Herod, then being angry with the Magi, in verse. 16 it says when Herod realized that he'd been outwitted by the Magi he was furious and gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. 
when that was said through the prophet Jeremiah then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled a voice is heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more so he murdered bunches of babies not sure how many in his jurisdiction but Rome ruled the known earth at that time so it you know it's quite a few verse 19 after Herod died an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph and said get up take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who were trying to take the child's life are what D-O-A no plot no plan no wisdom can succeed succeed against the Lord amen will not succeed and that's true throughout the ages it's true in this day, day and age. Whatever God's told you your children are going to become, they will become. No plot or plan will succeed against the Lord. He is the greatest. Amen. So these, these, uh, these things at birth. Now in this nation, abortion was made legal. I think it was in 1973. It's interesting. The woman... Uh, uh, they called Debbie Rowe in the lawsuit went on to have that baby because it took three years for them to convince the Supreme Court to make abortion legal which well, she passed away just this year and there's several prophets have prophesied that her passing is significant in that Roe versus Wade will be overturned amen amen and we have to be careful with our votes and with our our allegiances to politics and politicians don't sign on to any platform that takes that supports killing anybody and unjustly you understand what i'm saying uh, you can't prosper like that god doesn't want your foot in both kingdoms you got to love one or the other amen and you know the time is coming now when God is watching to see who's on his side. You know, people, you used to be able to straddle the fence with no problem. But it's that's over now. You got me? He needs people to line up with him because God wants to wrap up this work on the earth. Amen? It, it is too wicked, uh, too, too damaging to innocent humanity. Uh, the crimes that you see against the children... Uh, they're horrendous it's horrible what's happening to everyday people and Christians that don't pray are the enemies of God's kingdom you got me they just go to church and put on some nice clothes and sing songs and those days are over folks I mean help me Jesus we got a war going on here and you got to understand who you are that's why so much trouble comes to, to Christian households sometimes. You know, they just let the enemy get too close because they're not focused on fighting an enemy. Amen? So we've got to do. The ones who know it have to stand even more. Amen? But God helps us. You know what to do. He'll help you. So all of these are governmental and political moves to stop God from getting a foothold in our lives so that we can prosper and succeed. So that if the enemy doesn't get you, it, it, 
in the the uh, time of being born he will try it at a different time and and then he comes uh with a plot against our future amen if he can't stop you at birth then he'll try to stop the future that god has for you in luke chapter 4 you'll see how the enemy tests and tempts us to stop the glorious future that god has for us God knows what he wants you to do with your life. You you don't need to help him. You, know, you don't need to sit around and try to figure out nothing. Let me think. What do I want to do? No, he's already got that plan mapped out. Just find out what he wants you to do. Amen. And don't obstruct it. You don't want to be found to be fighting against God. Amen. You want to be on his side in all things. One thing I know about God if he doesn't have in mind for you what you have in mind for you, he'll give you something better. If you'll trade that in, it's always an upgrade with God. He knows, listen, he knows we all want somebody to love. Want somebody to call our own. You know, all the, all the stuff. We want money, we want a good job, good car. He wants to have all that stuff. Amen. But you got to get a kingdom way or you won't keep it. If you don't get a kingdom way, it won't satisfy you, won't be happy with it. Amen. You'll be sitting up there looking at him. I can't believe I chased him all in me. Look at him sitting up there. You know what I'm saying? Life happens. If you do what God tells you to do. <laughs> he won't be doing all that. You understand what I'm saying? You get one of these guys want to run out every time. I say, where are you going now? Every time some things get tough, they want to go run somewhere. Uh, we aren't compatible anymore. Where are you going? Going nowhere. Go over there and sit down somewhere. Till you change your mind. <laughs> You'll get over it. <laughs> That same feeling hits me all the time. I just don't say nothing about it. So take the stars out of everybody's eyes. Bring you to reality. You're going to have to fight for something, darling. Tell you right now, you have to fight to hold on to your sanity, hold on to your marriage, hold on to your kids. You're going to have to fight something. There's a devil out here. And he's coming for your future. So we see that in the way Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness. You turn to Luke chapter 4. We're tempted in, in broadly three different areas. And the Bible kind of describes those in, in this uh, interaction that Satan has with Jesus to steal his future. You, you can, can want good things from God. But if you don't get them fast enough, and it's usually what most people get tripped up on, is they don't understand that they have the fruit of patience residing in them. If they yield to that, they could ride out these fits of impatience that we have and doubt and all this kind of stuff. You know, sometimes the enemy will start prodding you. Oh, what's, what's taking so long? Well, you know, what's, why is this taking so long? You must have done something wrong. Did God really tell you you was going to get that day? 
He don't usually give people like you that kind of stuff. Huh? Amen. That's true. That's true. Who tells? Oh. Yes, he does. Well, you think he won't say that? He'll stay worse than that. Huh? So in in Luke chapter four, we see Jesus's temptation or testing. Verse one: Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. Now that's a key. That's a key. You don't fight the devil bare knuckles in the flesh, trying to outwit him or answering his stupid, you know, like engaging him in conversation. You know, that little voice that says, uh, oh, you must have done something wrong. You said, mm, let me think what it is. No, devil, I see you. My sins are forgiven. If I done something, if if I did something bad, God'll tell me first. Go let you come up here and be my counselor. Huh? You never gonna get that. Look how long it's been. Listen, devil. If I never get it, I ain't coming back over on your side again. Kidding me? David said, "I'd rather be the housekeeper in the." <laughs> a, a gatekeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell in the tents of wicked people. <laughs> so Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. That helps you stay full of the Spirit. Got me? But he was hungry at the end of them and the devil said to him if you're the son of God tell that stone to become bread so what the enemy does he challenges your righteousness your identity if if God really loves what are you serving God for he'll do nothing for you look how long you've been waiting for this how long you've been waiting for that devil did you notice yesterday what he did for me and what he did for me this morning, see, you ain't keeping up with my stuff. I'm keeping up with my stuff. And I'm content to wait on that because while I'm waiting on it, I'm enjoying my life without you. Amen. Without you. Without a you. So the devil said, if you're the son of God, tell the stone to become bread since you're hungry. Man. Jesus answered, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So you always bring the devil back to the word of God. Don't try to outwit him and give him cute answers and smart answers and that kind of stuff. Just tell him that you don't belong to him. Shut his mouth. Don't talk to me. I know that's you, devil, coming to me in my own voice. Trying to make me feel sorry for myself because I haven't eaten in 40 days or 40 minutes. <laughs> I had to throw it. Okay, okay. What's for lunch? <laughs> oh, now that I've read that, I am alone. <laughs> Wasn't hungry until I read this scripture. Halfway. <laughs> So lust of the flesh, he he sees our weaknesses and he plays to a weakness or a perceived weakness. But didn't God tell tell uh, uh, 
Paul, my grace is sufficient for you because my strength is made perfect in weakness. So Jesus wasn't just fasting without the grace of God ministering to him that he would make it through. Amen. So our strength, his strength is made perfect in our weakness. So it's good to be a little hungry. It's good to be a little off. It's good to have a, a little waiting period. It's good to have something you can't control in your life. Because he gets stronger in us when we go through these difficult times. The devil then led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. Pride of life. That's your cars, your houses, your flourishing businesses, all that kind of stuff. And the devil had, he said to him, I'll give you and their authority and splendor because it has been given to me. And he's telling the truth. He is the God of this world. And he says, I'll give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it'll be all yours. Now, there are people who are ensnared in this snare. And and you can see the outcome. You ever notice how some people like get million get to be millionaires like overnight? They say it's not overnight, but there's an overnight factor involved in it. If those people don't learn how to hold on to God, they lose that money very, very quickly. You look at some of these multi million dollar athletes that are broke right after they leave the game or shortly thereafter, very few of them get smart enough to invest that money in something that's long lasting or some, or they, they get surrounded with people that steal the money from them. They get involved in, in, in investments and things like that and they don't have the knowledge or the expertise so they got to trust people and that money leaves them quickly. Well, that's what the enemy does. Trust me, if Jesus had fell for that, Satan would have let him be king for a day. And then snatched it right from him. You understand what I'm saying? Because the devil doesn't own anything. All he can do is snatch it from people who are deceived and pass it around to the next person he can deceive. So it looks like a lot of money. Amen. But it's really, really very little. He just has to move it around from person to person. Look at all these people that die early from drug overdoses. Especially in the entertainment industry. Places like that. That's so the money can be recirculated. They get involved in, oh, so-and-so died. He didn't leave a will. Or so-and-so left a will and he left everything to the cat. Well, the cat is going to go right back to the government. You understand what I'm saying? The cat only is going to live <laughs> a certain length of time. If the cat dies, it goes to the housekeeper. And somebody come and built the housekeeper out of it. The, the Bible says that money gotten through, uh, not through hard labor, lasts but a short time. So you try to get quick. You hit a lottery if you want to. Amen. That will be the, the worst thing you could ever do. And so many times we see these, these things get away from people very, very quickly. Even with people who earn money honestly. Some of the, the um, during the industrial age, you know, you take people like the Vanderbilts and the Mellons, the DuPonts, the Carnegies and all them people that made millions legally before there was income tax. You can't make it that fast now. But they made gugabs of money very, very easily. 
uh, it's said by the second generation only half of that money is there and then by the third generation only 10% of that money is there because their heirs are usually pretty poor on trying to keep that money for themselves and so it, it really really is hard to hold on to money because the God of this world is constantly taking it back from people and so that's what he wanted to get Jesus involved in is instead of going through the process of doing his ministry taking his power his anointing when when satan sees people who are anointed they're a bigger target uh because of what they carry in their potential uh and many times if he can deceive you uh, right at the point where you're uh stepping into the anointing or at the point where God is getting ready to move you to a greater influence in the earth he steps in to do something to divert you look at Benny Hinn his wife gets goofy on him and and decides to divorce him almost cost him his whole ministry but he had enough sincere people praying for him to pray them back together again you understand what I'm saying and let's go on with life you know a lot of times people are too embarrassed for reconciliation they just go and find them somebody else well it didn't work out you know I'm moving on that kind of stuff and it never works they never get the potential that they would have had had they stayed with that marriage that original marriage and relationship because God honors that he honors faithfulness and he honors commitment he honors stick with them even when the going is tough he honors that and so when you see these things happening you see the plan of the enemy to steal your future from you when God wants to start using you uh, the enemy will send a thorn in your flesh to keep you agitated so you don't want to pray you don't want to preach you don't want to step out in ministry you don't want to do these things you understand what I'm saying and so he'll see when he sees the anointing coming onto your life that's why I tell people I said just hang in there it'll blow over at some point you know if you don't let it disturb you it'll pass even that much more quickly but we have to go through these things you know you don't know what you're going to do under pressure until you get pressed and so but God has a safety net for all of us it's called the realm of the spirit where we can escape to amen and dwell under the shadow of the almighty so it's not personal it's only business and the devil comes after you it's just the way things are done (laughs) as far as his kingdom but when you come through it you will understand what it is to withstand the pressure of the enemy in difficult situations where you you can't lift a hand against him to do anything in the flesh the only thing you can do is hold on to God by the spirit and believe that it's going to wear out or you'll wear him out but no plan will succeed against God amen whatever God's plan for you no plot of the devil will succeed against him so Satan told him throw yourself down from here you know if you really are the son of God you know hey you know I know the word too and so Satan quotes him a scripture and he says he'll give his angels charge over you to guard you carefully they'll lift you up in your hands so just test that for a minute and throw yourself off this cliff and see if the angels will show up and help you 
Jesus answered, it's not wise to put God to a foolish test. Amen. God is there for us when we need him, not for when we're trying to show out in front of somebody or trying to make like we're all that or trying to, God, show me what you got. You understand what I'm saying? That's for people who really don't know God. You know, you'll hear sinners say stupid stuff like that. Well, if God wants to bless me, let's pray for me to get a million dollars. You know, and you want to slap them. Because number one, they wouldn't know what a million dollars was. They don't even know how to spell million. Don't know how many zeros it is. But they're trying to uh, make fun of you and embarrass God at the same time. So don't put God to a foolish test. If you need something from God, you know, go into his word, find out what his word says about it, and then pray the word of God. Ask God to bless you according to his word. So when the devil had finished all his tempting, he left Jesus for a season, it says, or till another opportune time. So this kind of stuff never stops. You'll have seasons of rest where the enemy is not so active. But then there are times when God does want you to do things for him or he'll anoint you with a certain amount of his power. And and you can bet the enemy to show up at that time. He always wants to do something uh, at that time to see if he can stop us. With some people, it's their health. You know, if it's sometimes if you haven't been as tight on the word and, and speaking the word over your your physical man as you need to, or you let the devil put you under pressure and get under stress, you'll find that your health might get compromised. And then God's telling you to hang in there because I've got more for you to do. I'm not done with you down here yet. And so these are the things that we need to understand that the enemy wants to uh, throw frustration at us. And he wants to stop us and tempt us to step away from God so that he can put the final death blow in there. You see that with people who are are, are um, one of the things that, that we pray for we pray for um, artistic people in the body of Christ that the enemy not pull them off because they seem to be so vulnerable to the wiles of the enemy you know you see Whitney Houston's a prime example you know, she grew up in the church you see all these people grew up in church um, Motown people and you see how many of them are alive they'd be like my age now maybe a little bit older and I ain't telling y'all what that is Put your calculator away. Everybody gonna sit there. What you see? Mary, Diana Ross, Barry Gordon. I was Barry Gordon. No, 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 no. Put, put it away. Chill out. Stay with the word. But many of them did, and uh, many of them, you know, they went on to be successful entertainers. Many of them, but many of them got caught up in the the life. You know, of drugs and alcohol and, and not sleeping well and all that kind of making money, letting the God of Mammon be their God. And so it's very, very difficult to keep the gifts of God in the house of God sometimes because people think they're called to fame. You're called to service. You know, you're called to service just like the minister is. Amen. <laughs> Put that microphone in people's hand. It'd make them crazy, Carol. (laughs) 
So <clears throat> the pride of life test is what we go through. We go through the test of lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. Pride of life is what do you think is the most important thing in your life and why? What do you think is the most important thing in your life and why? And that will give you a key to pride of life. Now most people say they're children. That's always uh, an answer that people readily give. And your children should be important to you. But if they get too important to you, the devil starts to fight you more over them because he sees what you will do to keep that relationship or preserve that or something like that. Sometimes your relationships will be estranged because you decide to go on and serve God and, and it breaks your heart to not be able to talk to your own kid or they don't respect you or whatever, whatever. But God will add it for his glory if you will ride it out and stay with him and let him reverse that thing and turn it around. So most people will give testimony that the relationship with the child is better after they allow God to put it back together the right way. Amen. Then you're ready to put them out again. You still here? It's business as usual. (laughs) So whatever, what is the most important thing in our lives and why? That gives the key to pride of life. It's a key. God will come after it as a weakness and we see it as a normal desire. So we have to offer these things up to God just like um, Abraham offered Isaac up to God, you know, and it puzzled Abraham. He's thinking to himself, man, you made me throw that one kid of mine out. You gave me this one and said this one was it, and now you want me to kill him. What gives? (laughs) Amen. Abraham was just moving up to a higher level of faith in God. God needed somebody down here who believed in the resurrection. Amen. Job is an earlier book of the Bible than is, is Genesis. And Job said that he believed in his flesh he would see God. That's not resurrection. He believed that he would see God in his flesh, which meant that he would recover from his illness and he would go on to continue to live the life that he lived in the flesh. God needed somebody down here to believe that he would raise him from the dead. Amen. So that faith has to get in the earth. Once that faith is in the earth, it's never lost. You got me? It's never lost. Because heaven and earth records what we believe. Amen. I'll say it again. Heaven and earth records what we believe. So that faith is laid up for us who will reach up at a later, later time and grab for it. That's why people can, can, there's no such thing as a healing movement. If somebody just began to believe God for healing, and as they released that, more people heard it and began to believe. But it's always been in the earth. Amen. It's nothing new. It's always been here. So God needs to stir people up to believe him for the supernatural more and more. So God will come after whatever it is that we will put ahead of him. Amen. He'll come for it. You don't have to arm wrestle him. But you got to remember there's no plot, no wisdom that can withstand, can stand against God. So you have to yield to God in those areas. The other area he comes against is our righteousness. 
Amen. Certain things we feel we must have. And oftentimes we'll trade in our righteousness for those things. You know, pray for your young adults and, you know, your young adult children, nieces, nephews, because young adulthood is an easy time for them to sell out their righteousness for the lust of the flesh, for some quick and easy way to get uh, a thrill or get some attention or something stupid like that. So pray for them to hold on to their righteousness. Jacob was a man who was tested. He started out as a deceiver and a trickster. And I can give you, uh, there's some high points I want to I talk about. Genesis, it's in the book of Genesis. When I get to it, I'll, I'll point out the scripture. <clears throat> in Genesis, well, Jacob left his household. He left running. Because he had stole, <laughs> stole from everybody, you know. I remember my, my dad talking about my uncle. We had an uncle who was single. His name was Dan. Uncle Dan. And um, my father used to say, he said, Dan, well, he said he would steal my daddy's chickens and sell them. And then say the, the chicken, something else happened to the chicken. You know, he's just a, a little con man. And uh, so, but anyway, uh, sometimes you have in families children that are kind of crafty. You know, they're smart, but they use that smart selfishly. And so that's the kind of kid Jacob was. Jacob noticed that his brother Esau, Esau was the firstborn. And so Esau had the birthright. They both had an inheritance, but Whatever Jacob had, it was never enough for him. He had to have the best, had to have the most, had to have the highest, had to have, you know, it always had to be Jacob first. And so Jacob would find a way, he would study people's weaknesses, which is demonic, and play to their weaknesses. So Esau liked to eat. Uh-huh. And so Esau came in one time, he was so hungry, he sold his birthright to Jacob for a morsel of bread the Bible says and so that was the first trick he pulled on him but he still had to get the father's permission to claim the birthright so he had to steal the blessing as well so he got in cahoots with his mother and they they made him up to look and smell and feel like like Esau and stole the blessing from his brother Esau and Esau was was very bitter about this and I'm sure when Jacob stole it he left left home in a hurry and so Jacob then finds himself out on his own and when people who are thieves find themselves on their own they got to either find some new people to slick out of something or they got to shape up and so Jacob comes to Bethel and that's in Genesis 28 and um, it's right after he steals the blessing from his brother in Genesis what did I say 28 start in verse 10 uh, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran when he reached a certain place he stopped for the night because the sun had set Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. 
He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth and with the, the top reaching into heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. So God shows up to bless him even though he's a thief. See, these are legal operations. Unless Esau is going to take him to court and get it back some kind of way, it rests on him. You got me? So God has to show up and follow up on the blessing. And that's what this is. Even though he stole it, God says you got it. In fact, the Bible says, God said, Jacob have I loved and Esau I hated. Figure that out. You love a thief? Well, who in here hasn't stolen something? Well, don't go there. I ain't going to ask that. Don't. Somebody's getting ready to put their hand up. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. So he says, I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. That sounds familiar? This is the Abrahamic blessing. And you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and the south. All people on the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. So there is his covenant with God. The blessing and the covenant. The oath and the promise. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on my journey, I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely. So he's just repeating the vow back that God made to him. And this is Jacob's token. He says, I will give you a tenth of all that you provide for me. So the tithe was always the token of accepting a covenant with God always always plan to give a tenth amen even if you start smaller let that be your goal because that completes your covenant with God that's how they knew God knew they were serious you know they weren't trying to to uh, mince anything but the tithe was something that was very sacred to whomever you served and so if 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 God doesn't get it, some other devil will get it. You understand what I'm saying? So so anyway, Jacob then enters into a covenant with God by believing God and he is considered to be a righteous man. So even though all his tricks and all his shenanigans, that's in the past, he has accepted a covenant with God, the the uh, the evidence of that being the vow to tithe and so he dreams and, and, and wakes up from this dream fully understanding that God has blessed the place where he is and he goes on to uh, find his wife 
and he falls into the hands of a distant relative whose name is Laban. Laban has two daughters. Um, uh, Rachel is very beautiful, and then Shanene. <laughs> Shanene forever. Forever Shanene. And so (laughs) Jacob asks for Rachel's hand in marriage and and Laban says yes but work for me seven years. And so God gives Jacob a dream. For a righteous man God has to have something for you to prosper out of. And so the first first marriage that he has, first seven years, the, the Bible says it seemed like nothing because he was so in love with Rachel. I think just being able to see her all the time or see her wherever you go, oh, there's Rachel, time is flying. I'm going to say, oh, it's seven years up already? Oh, my goodness. But then when he woke up, he found out that Leah was the one that he was married to. Married Sex was marriage in them days. I don't know what people do nowadays, but... That's what that was. You bought the cow. Can I say that in church? Happy y'all sleep. I don't know what. What are you two saved to do? What? 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 I'm like Paul. I am a person of plain speech. Great plainness. Great plainness of speech. So in them days, you bought the cow. You didn't give it back. You didn't say, oops, that ain't what I asked for. No, that's your wife. Keep it, keep it moving. <laughs> so, so he tells Laban is, is slicker than Jacob was. He, when, when God wants to deliver you, he'll bring you face to face with what he wants out of you. See, you can have you can be saved and have a covenant with God, but you still got junk in you. God needs to deliver you from. So Jacob looks at Laban. He says, "Man, this was me a few years back. What am I gonna do? In order to get victory over your old self, you got to stay with God. Amen. You have to stay with God." So this is a test for Jacob to see if he's going to do things God's way or if he's going to trick the trickster. Huh? Uncle Laban. If he, you know, the hunter gets captured by the gang. So he wants to, to get free of this, but Laban has not given him his daughter in marriage. And those were, they respected those Hebrew customs. You know, these women didn't just run off with somebody. You know, and find them online and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, you know, stuff like that. Pack up everything, go put in your car, go meet somebody, and do stuff like that. So anyway, uh, Leah started to have children. Rachel gets jealous, and then he gets Rachel in marriage. So they got he's got two wives. Laban tells him some lame story like, "Oh yeah, the oldest daughter, you got to marry her first. I thought you knew." <laughs> when you asked for the young one, I thought you knew you had to take that old one too. Huh? So anyway, he 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 gets that that from he he marries Rachel. She and they start fighting over who's having the most kids, and that's how he winds up with twelve kids. Huh? 
two wives fighting over who can have the most babies, and, and that's how he got 12 kids. I mean, that's what it looks like in my Bible. I don't know what y'all reading from, but every time one had one, they got mad at him and said, I want another baby. Okay, so that's, that's how it goes. So anyway, Jacob, though, gets a, a plan from God. See, Laban's trying to defeat him because Laban as yet has not let Jacob go and God's promised Jacob I'm going to bring you back to this land amen where he where he met God and had a covenant with God and he went he goes on to work for Uncle Laban but God had promised him I'm going to bring you back here and so now God has to find a way to get Jacob back there prosperous not broke poor and running God never saves anybody into poverty. He saves you into prosperity. He saves you into wealth. He saves you into the kingdom. So, um, let me see. Let me find where it is. Jacob, in Genesis 30, I think it's starting in verse 31. Laban and, and Jacob are talking in verse 27 Laban said to him if I found favor in your eyes please stay here we go again work for me some more I have learned by witchcraft so you see what what Jacob is up against to beat Uncle Laban he's going to have to go deeper into the craft you know before he was just playing around with a little chicanery here but now he's going to have to get crafty to whip this old boy and he says I've learned through witchcraft that the Lord has blessed me because of you he added name your wages and I'll pay them Jacob said to him you know how I've worked for you and how your livestock has fared under my care the little you had before I came has greatly increased and the Lord has blessed you wherever I've been. But but now, when may I do something for my own household? So he says, everything I've done has gone to you. I want to do something for my family now. I want to build wealth for my family. Laban says, what shall I give you? He said, don't give me nothing. Now, does that sound familiar? Remember Abraham? Huh? He told him, I don't want nothing from you. I will not let anybody say that a man made me rich. Amen. It's God who gives me the power to get wealth. See, that's how you keep honor before God. That's how you put God first. That's how you trust God. That's how you keep your covenant. That's righteousness talking. Amen. Don't give me anything. I trust God for everything that I get. Amen. He says, but if you will do this one thing for me, he says, I'll go on tending your flocks and watching over them. Let me go through all the flocks today, remove them from them, every speckled or spotted sheep, every dark colored lamb, and every spotted or speckled goat. They will be my wages. So he's taking a portion of that flock. He says, and my honesty or my righteousness will testify for me in the future. So he says, I'm a righteous man. I'm trusting God for what I have. Don't give me nothing of what you got, but let me get some seed to get started with as payment for my 14 years of labor. 
He says, whenever you check on the wages you have paid me. says, any goat in my possession that is not speckled or spotted or any land that is dark, not dark colored will be considered stolen. In other words, I know you think I'm a thief and I used to be a thief. But I got a covenant with God. I'm a righteous man now. And this righteousness is going to talk for me. So Laban agreed. He said, let it be as you have said. The same day he removed all the male goats, etc., etc. Then he put a three-day journey between himself and Jacob, while Jacob continued to tend the rest of Laban's flocks. Jacob, however, took fresh-cut branches from poplar, almond, and plane trees and made white stripes on them by peeling the bark and exposing the white inner wood of the branches. Then he placed the peeled branches in all the watering troughs so that they would be directly in front of the flocks when they came to drink. When the flocks were in heat and came to drink, they made it in front of the branches and they bore young that were straight or spotted. Now only God could show him that. This, this is genetic engineering. You know, early genetic engineering that, you know, scientists in maybe the 17th century started learning about. Took them that long to catch up with what was in the Bible all along. And so he said, thus he made separate flocks for himself and did not put them with Laban's animals. Whenever the stronger females were in heat, Jacob would place the branches and troughs in front of the strong animals. So this boy, being stuck there 14 years, he wasn't there complaining. He was there listening to God and taking notes. So he got this information. See, this wisdom that he got came directly from God. Why? Because it worked. He increased, he multiplied, and he prospered under a man who stole from him for 14 years. And he says, the animals that were weak, he would not place them there. So the weak animals went to Laban and the strong ones went to Jacob. In this way he, he grew exceedingly prosperous and came to own large flocks and female and manservants and camels and donkeys. He did it all through righteousness. See, when the devil comes to take your righteousness, he puts you up against somebody who's a thief, a crook, a mean person, whatever he can do to make you think you have to resort to evil tactics to beat them. But if you will maintain your righteousness, God will give you wisdom, he will give you a plan, he will give you understanding, and he will prosper you. Not barely get by, but prosper him. Jacob's flocks were bigger than Laban's, stronger than Laban's, and more in number. He even had to hire people to help him tend all of his flocks. So Jacob then decides to leave Laban in in Genesis 31. Let me see what I wanted to show you in that. 31 starting in verse 9. I think this is Jacob talking to his wives. He says, you know that I worked for your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me by changing my my wages ten times. No doubt putting them back. He wasn't getting raises. And he says, however, God has not allowed him to harm me. When you're righteous, you can say that. I stood with God and God did not let it happen. Amen. 
If he said the speckled ones will be your wages, then all the flocks gave birth to speckled young. And if he said the streaked ones will be your wages, then all the flocks bore streaked young. So God has taken away your father's livestock and given them to me. In breeding season, I once had a dream. Here we go with prophetic revelation. In which I looked up and saw the male goats mating with the flock. The male goats mating with the flock were streaked, speckled, or spotted. The angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, I answered, here I am. And he said, look up and see that all the male goats mating with the flock are streaked, speckled, or spotted. For I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel. Remember me? When I, you first met me in a dream and I, you vowed to me and I vowed to you. He said, I'm taking care of you, like I said. Where you anointed a pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now leave this land at once and go back to your native land. Then Rachel and Leah said, do we still have any share in the inheritance of our fathers to stay? Like, hey, that old man owes us money too. Does he not regard us as, does he regard us as foreigners? Not only has he sold us, but he's used up what he paid for us. Surely all the wealth that God took away from our father belongs to us and our children. So do whatever God's told you to do. So the girls throw in with him and he goes ahead and leaves a wealthy man and goes back to the land that God promised him. So there is no wisdom, plot, or plan that can succeed against the plan of God. Amen. Especially when he comes to steal your righteousness. You don't have to compromise with the devil. You don't have to cheat. You don't have to lie. You don't have to steal. You don't have to do anything to violate your righteousness in order to prosper in this world. You just don't have to do it. James 3.17 tells us, 15-17 through 17 tells us there are two wisdoms. There's a wisdom that is from above and there's a wisdom that is from beneath. James was admonishing the church. To stay with the wisdom of God. And he told them how to figure out when God was speaking to him. And what God was telling them. And what the wisdom of God entailed. Let me see if I can find James. He says that wisdom that's from below is earthly. It's sensual. James 3.17 The wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. And peace loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit. I would say Jacob got mercy and he showed good fruit after God gave him that dream. He said, Peacemakers who sow in peace will reap a harvest of righteousness. So if you're a person who's not contentious, you're a person who likes to, to be peaceable and, and use that wisdom of God to sow peace in the earth, you will reap more righteousness. Amen? Just will. He says the, the wisdom that is from below, let me see where that is, verse 15, I think. Yeah, it says, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast about it, about it or deny the truth. This wisdom does not come from heaven, but it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder or strife in every evil practice. And so one will lose out, the other will win. 
Jacob was able to beat Laban through maintaining righteousness. He did not give up. God even gave him a dream of how to engineer cattle that would be superior to Laban's inferior cattle. So God was able to show Laban, ah, you thought you were stealing from a boy, but you didn't take from him. Amen. I took from you instead. And so God will vindicate you. Amen. He always vindicates the righteous. Don't get involved with these people who just see doom and gloom and, you know, God's judging America and all this. You know, the David say September 11th was God judging us because we're such a rotten group of people. When we're such a rotten group of people, how come we give so much to poor nations? And how much we do, how many people do we send for the gospel and they're, you know, raising money over here to send Bibles to different countries? There's righteousness here. You may not be a part of it, but I know that I am. Amen. So there is no plan or wisdom. That-